welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Ashley Bastock here with Mary Kate Cabot for our regular listeners. Don't worry, Dan Lobby is going to be here in the second half of this podcast. He's going to have a lengthy conversation with Lance Reisland. But Mary Kate and I, without Dan, it's going to be a little Olsen twins previewing of the week. We're going to talk about some three things we're thinking about heading into the Browns road game against the Seattle Seahawks this Sunday. So, Mary Kay, let's just dive right in. What's the what's the number one thing you're thinking about? And I'm I'm gonna venture that we have a little bit of ESPN going on here because I think I know what you're thinking about. Oh, I'm pretty sure you know what I'm thinking about, Ashley. Um, I'm very very predictable when it comes to these kinds of things. Um, so yes, I am thinking about what in the heck is going on with Deshaun Watson as they head into this Seahawks game. He did have an MRI yesterday, as I reported, and, um, they're trying to find out what's going on inside that shoulder with the rotator cuff. Did it stay the same? Did it get worse? Has it gotten a little bit better? We don't know yet. Nothing has emerged yet. Uh, but sometimes when you're dealing with an MRI, no news is good news. Because I would have to believe that if there was some kind of a partial tear in there, perhaps, I think we would have heard about it by now. I think that would have leaked out or something. So, you know, I I just don't know that it necessarily has gotten worse. But I still don't think that that means he should play Sunday in Seattle. I don't think anyone needs a repeat of what happened against the Colts. If it were up to me, I would shut him down for the week. Yeah, I think you and I were very much on the same page with this last week. I think we both said we thought it would be a mistake if they tried to play him against the Colts after watching what we saw. I still don't think there was a reason for it, and I think they are better off waiting until, you know, one big hit like that isn't going to rattle everybody to the point that you have to pull them. I think it just causes more angst, more uncertainty. I almost think, like, again, we talk about with P.J. Walker – It's not a question of, like, is P.J. Walker better than Deshaun Watson? I think you even said last week, like, an 80% Deshaun is probably better than 100% P.J. But I think it's all about longevity at this point, and I think it will do the whole team some good if you can just go in on, you know, Wednesday and say, hey, Deshaun is going to sit. We're waiting until this gets right. We're not going to risk it. And I watched that Seahawks-Cardinals game yesterday. Like, they are a physical and fast defense. I would be a little nervous, again, even more nervous than I was last week to see him go up against the Colts. Well, they will seize the moment, and that's exactly what the Colts did. I mean, if you just looked again at that first, um, the actual interception that Deshaun Watson threw, um, you know, the ball just didn't have his usual velocity on it, and it made it easier uh, for them to pick that off. And he's very, very lucky uh, that they overturned the second one. Again, the ball did hit the ground, but there's a world in which that could have been considered a second interception as well. And that could have cost them the game. So I'm telling you, I, I just don't think it's prudent for them to go out there and put themselves through that again. And if he's not feeling up to it by Wednesday, it's not a good idea to have your starting quarterback sitting out Wednesday's practice, and then your backup not being able to take first-team reps on Thursday and Friday like what happened last week with PJ. So I would just put the whole thing to rest as soon as possible, keep Deshaun out of practice on Wednesday, let the shoulder heal up, let PJ take the, the first-team reps, and then you know while I'm at all of this, I would be looking around for a veteran quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. 
I'm glad you brought this up because I didn't get to take part in this conversation on the Hey MK pod, but like, I am so all for this idea of can you execute a trade to get Jacoby Brissett back here? I mean, I think that would be a perfect scenario if they can pull it off. And I think like we've seen this front office in the past. They typically, they don't leave any stone unturned, but I really think like you can't just stand pat and, you know, just kind of hope and pray that PJ Walker can take you through this, you know, pretty difficult stretch of your season. You're asking a lot of him and there's just so much uncertainty right now. I think like if they would be able to pull off getting Jacoby back here, he's already been in this role for them before. So they know how best he's. And we saw Kevin Stefanski get the best out of him that he could. So I, I too, I agreed with you. And when you guys talked about that on the ham K pod, I'd be all for this idea, but I think like they need somebody. Yeah, they do need somebody. And, you know, when you look at what happened with uh, with Kareem Hunt, now, if you were starting a football team, you know, you might not go out and sign Kareem Hunt to be your lead back. But for the purposes of the Cleveland Browns this year, Kareem Hunt was the perfect acquisition. He knew the offense when Nick Chubb went down. He knows the players. He knows where the locker room is. He knows the training staff. He knows the coaching staff. He gets along with Stump Mitchell. He knows Jerome Ford. You know, there's something to be said for for familiarity when you have to plug a player in midseason. And so I think that's one thing that Jacoby would bring to the table. Again, I doubt they're going to do that. I have heard nothing about that. I have no idea if Washington would even entertain the thought of trading away Jacoby Brissett. But somebody like that would be, you know, really good. Somebody that knows this system, knows the terminology, doesn't have to reinvent the wheel and could be plugged pretty much right in and get the job done. And Jacoby, once again, started 11 games last year, and and he would be a great candidate for that, as would, you know, some other people. Uh, you know, there have got to be some some other guys out there that you could bring in that have won games, that have been through uh, the fire before, and and could give you some better quarterback play than than what the Browns are going to get right now with PJ and DTR, who, you know, they have, you know, they have some merit. I think DTR is going to be a good backup one of these days, but I just don't think he's ready yet to go out there and win a bunch of games if they need him to. So I would go find a veteran. Again, I don't have any indication that they're doing that. I, you know, there's just not a whole lot of, of information uh, coming out on, you know, what their thoughts are on anything right now. But um, but that is definitely something I would go and do. All right. Well, the beginning part of that point you just made kind of transitions nicely into another thing that I'm sure we're both thinking about here that I can open up the conversation for. So it is obviously we saw Kareem Hunt shine this past weekend and score the two TDs, including the game winner against the Colts. But what I'm really thinking about is some things you reported about Jerome Ford yesterday and the fact that they might be without their number one back now here for a little bit. Yeah, that's that's really unfortunate because uh, Jerome Ford was really kind of finding his footing in this offense. And, you know, he's done some nice things. He's ripped off some really nice runs. He had the 22-yarder late against the the 49ers that was really, really clutch and key in that game. And he had a 69-yarder. Of course, it was in a loss, but he had a 69-yarder against the, against the Steelers. And um, then he had another 69-yard touchdown on the three, third play of the game against the Colts. And that was huge, obviously, in such a, a tight, close game. 
So to lose him for a while, that's really unfortunate for them because he brings that explosive speed. He's a home run hitter. At any time, he can just break that big, long run. And that's what you need. And it formed a really good one-two punch with Kareem because Kareem is your power guy. You know, he's the, the you know plow forward for a yard or two yards or three yards. And then you provide the changeup, you know, with Jerome, and he's going to come in there and perhaps hit the home run. Now, the interesting thing is on his other 10 carries against the Colts, he netted only five yards. So it was very tough sledding. It was very tough sledding against that team. And, you know, and and teams are really going to try to shut down um, whatever the Browns have going on, you know, on the ground right now. So Pierre Strong, I mean, he's going to have to come up big over these next couple of weeks. It's a high ankle sprain for Jerome. And um, it's not a, a super serious one, but it's one that's going to probably keep him out uh, at least one week, probably maybe two weeks. You know, not really entirely sure if it will go beyond that. But, you know, now's a chance for Pierre Strong to, to step up and show what he can do and for Kareem to keep rolling along. But he also was suffering from a thigh injury, uh, you know, suffered against the 49ers. And he was very iffy heading into that Colts game. So uh, pretty remarkable for him to go out and do what he did. Yeah, and Pierre Strong right now, he's carried the ball for 21 times, 102 yards. His longest run is 40 yards, and he has a TD. He's kind of, you know, morphed into a, a returner for them, too, since Jerome Ford was their primary returner before Nick Chubb got hurt. That was what they were planning on. So I definitely think, like, it's interesting. I think the, you know, as we found out that this Jerome injury is going to be worse, but even, like, obviously just watching the game on Sunday – all I kept thinking is, like, thank goodness they went out and made this move after Nick Chubb got hurt. Like, I think it was no question at that point that they needed some depth. But I think, again, like we talked about bringing Kareem back, like, obviously he came back in better shape, I think, than he was last year. But it's a guy who, like, knows how things work here. And I think you see that comfortability that it can sometimes take a few weeks to develop. And I think, you know, maybe another guy, if he was dealing with the same injury, who wasn't really that familiar with the offense yet or the system or all that that kind of performance that Green pulled off might have been a bit tougher, but I think definitely now it's about the the counteracting what opposing defenses are going to do to him. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing, Ashley, about Kareem is the fact that, you know, he came back with a, a renewed hunger for the game. And, you know, you play fast. You play with more heart. You play with more energy when you have – that kind of gratitude for the game of football. And it was taken away from him uh, another time in his career when he was out of football and, uh, you know, out on the street until the Browns signed him after Nick Chubb went down. So, um, you know, there was no way he was going to be denied on the goal line when he had an opportunity uh, to plow forward for that one yard, which he joked around was one of the longest yards ever. Right. Uh, but he's just got that desire right now uh, to, to run through a wall. And I think that's vitally important. And he knows he's doing it for his hometown team. I think he recognizes that this Cleveland Browns team, if they can get some good quarterbacking, uh, that they do have an opportunity to go the distance this year. And he wants to be a part of that. So uh, I think that heart and soul aspect of it has been huge. Just one last point I want to make about Jerome. Like this feels to me like another unfortunate break for him. I think you, well, I know that you have been, 
you know, adamant about he missed a lot of training camp time with that hamstring injury. And now he's going to have to miss more time. And I think like that, when you have a younger player who doesn't have a ton of experience yet, those even even the practices or you know, especially the training camp practices and the games that you miss, those are all really important reps. So I definitely that's in the back of mind too of my mind, too, about just how is this maybe going to impact him down the stretch of a season, not even from the physicality standpoint, but just the experience that he's losing? Yeah, it, it is. It is unfortunate because you could see that the lights were starting to come on a little bit more for him. He was getting a little bit more uh, comfortable out there and he was making some big plays, not on a super, super consistent basis. So it would, it would be, um, you know, he, he lost yardage on a number of plays against the Colts. And you obviously don't want to see that happening. Uh, And there have been some run blocking issues along the way as well. Uh, But he was starting, you know, he was getting better and better. And to be able to hit that hole and get that 69 yard TD, that was huge. And I think there are going to be more plays like that down the road. So hopefully for him, he'll get back. This won't be a thing that lingers. um, And, you know, he will be able to get back out there and then really, really help them down the stretch when he feels super comfortable again. All right. We promised three things that we're thinking about. So Mary Kay, do you have a third thing to round out this segment here? Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm going to go with, um, you know, Miles Garrett. I, you know, I, we've been joking around about this, that, you know, we were, uh, we were out as writers in Indianapolis talking about Miles and we got into a debate about, um, you know, just how good he is and whatnot. And I, was really saying that five times a year, what I would want to see from a number one overall pick, a general, a generational player, somebody who wants to be NFL defensive player of the year, five times a year, you've got to be almost the reason they win the football game. You've got to take over the game. You've got to go gangbusters. You've just got to light it up and tear it up and do all those things that, you know, that we see uh, some of these other guys do, uh, like the Nick Bosa's who do earn NFL defensive player of the year. So he had that kind of a game. He had the kind of game that puts him on the map for possible NFL Defensive Player of the Year honors, uh, who can go out and almost, uh, you know, just put the team on his back and carry it to a victory. And, um, and you know, that was pretty incredible. And if I think he's probably going to be AFC Defensive Player of the Week. And if he continues along this vein, then he just might grab that very first NFL Defensive Player of the Year honor. Yeah, I was thinking on Sunday, too, like, it felt so important, like, that he had a game like this. And it was good timing, right? Because I think this game, in the grand scheme of the NFL schedule last week, was not one anyone was really paying attention to. He's kind of helped by the fact, like, he has a great, really, really great individual performance. And then I think more people were paying attention to this game after the fact, number one, because of Deshaun Watson, and number two, because it kind of became this unexpected shootout. But I thought for me, it almost made up for the fact that he really didn't do much in that Steelers game. And that's the only primetime game we've seen them have. And when we talk about these end of season awards and the big accolades, like we talk about the importance of performing in those circumstances. And I definitely thought and felt at the time that that was almost like a missed opportunity and actually the exact opposite of what the Browns and him needed to happen happened. And it was Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt took over that game. So I think it, it was great to not just to see like, obviously the great defensive plays, but the block field goal, because that is such a play that that's going to be 
circulating for months and months and months from now too and just kind of shows the special physical abilities that Miles Garrett has to me. Yeah, and you have to to get that kind of national attention if you're going to end up being NFL defensive player of the year. And he never even gets votes. I mean, he just never even gets votes. And he's up against, you know, these big name guys, the Bosa family, the Watt family. Um and it's very very hard uh, you know, to break through that, you know, the Aaron Donalds and the Bosa's and the TJ Watts, he's, he has not gotten the run or the love that, you know, that he really deserves. But what it takes is that kind of a game, a dominant, dominant game where it, you cannot be denied and nobody can uh, look at that and say that Miles did not bust out and just own that game. So this is the kind of thing that he's going to have to do even a little bit more consistently He's got to keep it going. He can't tail off in the second half of the season. He's got to really uh, finish strong. He's got to finish strong because uh, that's, you know, that's what it's going to take for this team to realize their goals, especially in a season where the quarterback play isn't yet what you hoped it was going to be. So you have to rely on that defense. Um, now they did identify the offsides thing, and they're going to have to be careful. I think coaches, opposing coaches are telling the refs to watch out for him jumping. And um, they got a couple of free plays from that and they were costly free plays. I mean, big costly free plays. And so um, he's going to have to be careful of that, but um, he made up for it. He made up for that. And he, um, he also kind of, you know, helped make up for a defense that showed some, some cracks in this game, in the run game, and otherwise, and in some, you know, with some of the bigger plays. So uh, he did what he needed to do, and and everyone needs to see more of that version of Miles. All right. Mary Kay and I are going to step aside. That is your three things to think about heading into Seahawks week. And when we come back from the break, it will be Dan Lobby here with Lance Reisland to do a little breakdown. So Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great. Welcome back to the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby here. Thanks to Mary Kay and Ashley for holding down that first segment. I'm here now, as always, on a Wednesday with Lance Reisland. Lance, how are you? Hey, Dan, how are you? I'm doing well. Okay, let's get to it. The Browns 39-38 winners. We all had the over in that game, right? We, we all thought it was going to be a high-scoring shootout. Uh, I, 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 yes, yes, yes. Of course we did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's get to it. And I do want to start with that part of it because right, we always talk about this defense and that was probably the defense's worst game as a whole. Now that comes, of course, with Miles Garrett having one of the best games he's ever had. Uh, we'll get into him in a little bit, but I do want to talk about this defense. What were the Colts doing to kind of exploit this Browns defense? Because I don't think anybody expected Gardner Minshew in that offense to have this type of day. Well, you know, when you asked that question earlier, uh, when I got your text, I, you know, I went back and I watched the film again, trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And a couple of things, first of all, in the NFL at all levels, but there's film on Schwartz now. There's film on these guys. And the more film that's out there, the more these people are breaking them down. So in the run game, what you're seeing is you're seeing some of the traps and whams that we talked about, which the Browns did against uh, San Francisco and that Todd Munkin uh, did against the Browns. So you have that aspect where they're trapping and things like that. Now, these inside-outside zones, what they're doing is they're they're creating these cutback lanes now. So they're taking these defensive tackles who are penetrating, and they're just taking them wherever they want to go. And it's not a traditional zone where they're doubling, but they're just creating these lanes because the Browns guys are jumping in gaps. And those are things that will adjust as they go, the Browns defensive line. In the pass game, 
uh, what I've noticed is a, there's a couple things. One is, <clears throat> excuse me, one is they're finding matchups in man. They're, they're finding man beaters in matchups. So they're staying away from those three really good corners and they're finding matchups inside. So you're getting uh, linebackers in coverage, like on the wheel to Taylor. Um, you're getting safeties in coverage. Not that they can't cover, but you're, they're staying away from the really wrong, strong corner. And then the other thing that I really like is now people are stacking, bunching, and motion. So the offensive guy, I like that because now it puts who's got who and who's got where. And you saw that a couple times um, on big plays, like the big play, a uh, couple of big plays at downs. People don't, they didn't know who was switching on who, um, you know, who has, you know, who is what, what and what coverage. And then the other thing is just a fundamental thing. They got to tackle and they didn't tackle very well um, on Sunday. And that's, so there's a couple of things they can fix. There's a couple of things they're going to have to work out. And the more film that's out there, the more teams are going to attack. And they're going to have to attack too. And you think about this, they were on like best defense ever pace. So it wasn't like, you know, they're still playing good defense. Uh, For me, it's not about the yards and points. It's making plays when you have to. And I think that's what they did. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to get help. It's a perfect example. They're going to have to get help from the offense and and the special teams, you know, and that's what's going to happen, you know, moving forward. You know, the question with these things is, look, every defense has games like this, even the great ones. I asked this after the Ravens game. Is it repeatable? Can another opponent look at what the Colts did and and repeat what they did to this Browns to this Browns defense? Well, a couple of things you have. So, like if you look at the first touchdown pass at Downs, right? So Miles Garrett jumps offside. There's a couple big plays with Miles Garrett jumping offside. And what people sometimes don't understand with that is that quarterback's going to take a shot. So you, what you do is that you allow a quarterback to take a rip, regardless because there's no penalty. So whether he likes the read or not, he's throwing it deep. That's every quarterback and every NFL team. So that hurts them. So, um, you know, they, they missed a tackle on the long touchdown pass um, to Downs. That was a terrible tackle by Newsom. Good, good route, good throw. You're going to have those. Make the tackle. These are NFL guys. Make the tackle. Uh, Newsom missed the tackle. Um, Emerson comes over, and he's a, you know, he's a headhunter, and he didn't wrap up. He just tried to knock him out, and he missed a tackle. So those are some things that are fixable. Um, but they're going to give up big plays. What they have to do is, first of all, they have to play complementary football with each other on all three phases. But they have to understand that they're not going to play at that historic pace. These are NFL guys, and they're going to make plays. So you got to tackle. you got to keep things in front. you got to do things correctly, um, especially when your offense is struggling, that their offense is struggling. So <clears throat> regardless of how they play, everybody wants to know if it's repeatable. Can they do it again? They're going to be great all year, but they're going to give up plays. They're going to get – especially in man coverage. You're going to get that touchdown to pass. The downs was a great example, the second one. Just make the tackle as a 16-yard gain. Okay, you got beat on a good dig route. You can have that, but they have to do uh, everything right. So because with the Browns offense, it's magnified right now. Let's look at the positive side of this real quick. You know, aside from Miles Garrett, we're, we're going to get to him next. But what did they do well? Because they did force some turnovers and, and they did make plays. So what else was happening that they did well? Well, you're seeing what the, you know, the risk reward. So we talked about it on last Thursday podcast. You know, they're going to have the next step is going to be what? Creating turnovers. Um, so that's what they're starting to do. They're starting to, you know, the details of, you know, reading your keys and what coverages are and what Minshew likes to do. So you can tell that they're starting to put in the film work. They're starting to have an understanding. Um, to me, they're going to make, they're going to make tackles. They're going to do things. They're going to give up some plays. They just hadn't given up any plays whatsoever. Those first five weeks, they're going to give up some plays. <clears throat> and I think, you know, as they move forward, the more film that's out there, you know, they, when they play the AFC North teams again, uh, I think they're only going to get better. And the reason they're going to get better is because they're all going to be they're all going to be in unison. They still it's still a new defense for so many of them. And, um, you know, everybody has their role and they have to learn to star in their role. And 
Um, now these linebackers got to cover. Well, they're going to cover more because people are attacking them and things like that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of variables, but the Browns defense is very very good. And to me, this is the hiccup. But it's not much as a hiccup as making sure that offense does its part. Because if the offense scores points and the other team's got to throw even more, so it's they got to they got to build off each other and build on you know what they're doing. Okay, let's let's talk about Miles Garrett. Maybe the best game I've seen him play, which is easy to say because he did something that hasn't been done since like 1990. <laughs> two sacks, two forced fumbles, a blocked field goal. Um, I don't remember the exact year. He's now the the he has the most sacks before age 28 in the history of the NFL. He passed Reggie White. I mean, the accolades keep coming for him. We know Miles is a physical freak, and and that's sort of where this starts. But we've had a lot of physical freaks in the NFL. What is it that makes Miles great? Well, besides the splash plays, what everybody said, and the freakish athletic ability and things like that, the thing that I that you see this year is the attention to detail. So I like to call it with all your star players. I used to say this with my guys. Be great at the mundane. Be great at the everyday. Like he's he's doing everything well right now. He's playing the run. He had nine tackles the other day. So he's doing everything right. He's reading his keys. Um, everybody says that, you know, obviously having more guys up front helps. But there, the, the attitude he has right now is a lot different than the attitude he, he's had in the past, even though he's always been really good. But there's a definite attention to detail. Like when you think about knocking down that pass on the screen, that's understanding. That's reading your keys. You know, in the NFL, no one forgets to block you. Uh, you got to know the screen's coming, uh, things like that. So he's just, you know, he's setting the edge very well. He's uh, pursuing from the backside. He's great at the point of attack. Uh, he's taking things down with the right arm, which allows his teammates to make tackles. He's being a great teammate. He's playing with massive effort. And I don't want ever want to say that, you know, sometimes people say we doesn't play with great effort all the time. No, but what he's doing right now is that the little things that are mundane and not very fun, he's doing that at a high level all, along with the splash plays. So He's just every play. He's a he's a absolute offensive coordinator's nightmare. Can't run at him. Can't run away from him. Can't pass protect him. It's it's awful. So one of the reasons they hired Jim Schwartz was to maximize Miles Garrett. Are are you seeing a difference in what he's doing under Jim than what he was doing under Joe Woods? Well, you know, it's funny because if you look at a lot of like when he had the strip sack for in the second one, that was just a flat athletic speed move. He didn't do too much. He swiped, he beat the, beat the chip and just swiped the tackle. Freeland had no chance against him all day. So, you know, his effort's always been there. He doesn't, you know, he has a fantastic pass rush move, but his biggest pass rush move is that he's a freak of nature and he can just beat you almost like when guys go back to college, then they come to the NFL and they can't quite do that because it's the NFL now. Well, he can still do that. He can still jump on his shoulder and beat you with speed and go through. So he doesn't, even though he has an elaborate pass rush move, great spin move, all that kind of stuff, he can still, he's just still better than everybody. And that's not something everybody has. But the thing I see is there is a definite want to on every play with him now. He's playing the run as I've ever, uh, as well as I've ever seen him play. He's chasing down stuff. He's never quitting on a play. Um, not that he used to, but you can just sell. There's a different mentality in what he's doing out there. And it's showing up because he's making a lot of tackles against the run and plays away and plays to him. So um, I would say Schwartz um, has brought just whatever he's done to create. Like, if you want to be great, then you got to be great all the time, not just in pass rush. And that's what he is now. He's great at everything right now. Okay, let's turn our attention sort of to the offensive side of the ball, but really Kevin Stefanski as a whole. Um, you know, look, I've had some nitpicks with Kevin. I've, you know, I don't think he's perfect. Nobody is as a coach, but I've been a little surprised that there's been criticism, a fair amount of it, after these last two games where he's basically won with P.J. Walker as his quarterback in both games. Um, 
to me, these are two of his best games as a coach, to be honest. And again, we can nitpick things, but what do you think he's done well the last two games? Well, first and foremost, I sent you guys a text during Sunday, right? He, oh, There's no, no such thing as an ugly win. So everybody can be mad. And I'm starting to – now you start to see that with the Browns in terms of I think he's patient. So they ran the ball 34 times uh, last week, and they ran it 33 times this week. So they're almost 50-50 bounds, which you know for Stefanski he's really hard. He likes to throw the ball. He likes to get an empty. So he stayed really patient, uh, whether they're running or not. They're, um, he is – Believing in what his strength of his team is. His strength of his team is absolutely that defense. But the strength of his team is also his kickers. You know, Bjork has averaged 54 yards a punt. He's averaging almost 50 yards a punt for the year. Hopkins is at another level. He's making 50 yarders like they're nothing now. So he's got, so we always, you know, as a coach, you think about it in three phases. Well, right now, the Browns most likely are going to win or come close to winning defense and special teams almost every week. The offense can't lose it for him. And I, I kind of see that in his play calling. You know, it's it's not always flashy and people want to see big points. I, I'm i with you. I think these are his best two games because he's had to say, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about what I like to do. It's about what we can get the wins. And in the end, it's all about winning and losing. And he they won the last two games with a quarterback who is third string playing in the XFL. And no, he's not making great throws. And But I think Stefanski is helping him, not putting him in terrible positions. Uh, let him make some throws when you need to. He made some good throws. That that throw down the sideline to Moore was an elite throw in the hole against cover two. So I, you know, that's I'm with you. I think what he's doing mostly is that he's he's staying patient. He's running the ball. If they're in long yard situations, he's not throwing the ball downfield. He's trying to work Njoku in the middle. Um, you know, I still think they got to figure out. Wait, now they got to go and say, hey, if Walker's our guy, how do we get uh, more touches? Because I, I mean, I'm sorry, how do we get Cooper touches? Because you know, he's still got to touch it. So. I just think he's been patient and I think it's outstanding. You know, everybody tells the coach to adjust. He's adjusting. He's whatever it takes to win. It doesn't matter what he's doing, whatever it takes to win. And I'm with you. I could, I think these are his best two games and me and you are for sure in the minority on that one. You know, that series at the end of the first half that I thought was really impressive. He really managed the clock and was able to kind of steal that last field goal um, because of how he used his timeouts. But that started with him punting on fourth and four in, in plus territory which is not how Kevin Stefanski wants to play football. Um, if Deshaun's his quarterback, he probably goes for that. And I think he did that. He had one like that against San Francisco too, where it was like in a, in a different scenario, he goes for this, but he's sort of changed his ways. And he's, you know, the Purdue marching band played at halftime of that game. He played a little Purdue, Iowa, Big Ten West football. Um, Purdue's probably a little unfair. They did have Drew Brees, but you know what I mean? They played yeah, a little yeah, yeah. Big Ten West football. Well, yeah, you know, and if you look at they – so here's the way you look at it from Canna and offense. We can repeat it. Can an, can an offense go 90 plus yards against the Browns defense consistently? The answer to that is no. The answer to that to say you're going to get, you can get a big play, but to say if you're, if you're an analytics person to say you're going to go eight to 12 plays against that defense without making a mistake, the chances are not very good. You're going to play those percentages all the time. You're right. If your defense can give up big plays, this is a high level defense with high level guys at all three levels. So that's playing to your strength. You know your punter can punt them deep. You know if you get a couple more yards, you could take three. And you know that with if every drive ends in a kick, and that's kind of the mentality. And that's hard. I'm an offensive guy too, and it's hard to punt the ball sometimes. You're like, we got to play. We can do this. You're in plus territory. You got a matchup you like. You got a coverage you like. You, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is defense is their best. And if they end every offensive series with a kick, whether it be a punt or not, 
they'll be successful because that defense, that defense will always hold its own. It's going to have some bumps in the road, but they're always going to be good. You're going to win that side of the ball more than you're going to lose it. I do want to ask you as a former coach, how much better is it to teach and give guys some of those minuses after wins <laughs> than to do it after losses? Oh, it's so much, you know, and like I said, there's no bad. And, and I, I truly believe that there's no bad, there's always teaching moments, but there's no bad, there's no bad wins. And, you know, you can learn from mistakes and things you do, but I will tell you, um, when you put the amount of work in that all coaches uh, who are trying to be successful from high school to college, it's a long work week and you are putting in massive hours in film, um, you know, practice time, watching practice film, watching game film, watching inside run in uh, red zone. I mean, the amount of hours these guys put in in terms of trying to get ready for the game. Uh, there's a relief to win. That's why they say it's a win and win lose league because it really is. Cause you put so much into that and sure you mess up, but you know, you come in the next day, breakfast tastes a little bit better. You sleep a little bit better on the pillow. You don't have the what ifs. Um, now you have the corrections, but you know, if you lose, it's what if I didn't do this, we wouldn't have lost. It's, it's so much easier. You wake up a lot easier. Um, you feel pretty good about yourself and what your, your plan was and, it's it's night night and day is not a good description it's so nice when you come in after a win um you know one thing i always tell you know i tell young coaches enjoy those wins because at all levels of football wins are hard to get so i think fancy's gonna enjoy that win and that that'll help you get ready you know when they crank it up tomorrow they're ready to go and everybody should be in, in good spirits okay did you have a question for this week lance oh i do i think it's a good one in terms of uh you know being down there it might not be something you can answer now. I might have to think about it. Come back to me on Thursday. What are the top three, in your opinion, what are the top three tailgate or pregame foods right now? Top three top tailgate th- tailgate or pregame foods at like a party or you're down in Muni lot. What are the top three foods? Okay. So this is tough for me because I don't, I don't tailgate, unfortunately, yeah, I mean, I, right? Because we got to work those days. But let me think. Well, I mean, right? Like, you know, sausages. Right, okay, like, go, or whatever always, bratwurst. Let's yeah, call them bratwurst. Go, you got to go brats over hot dogs. Okay, yeah. okay, that's on my okay, list. Let's, let's go bratwursts. Burgers. I go br- maybe I a little heavy. Yeah, you, you get a little heavy with the burgers. Yeah, it, you, but burgers a classic. You got to go burger. I mean, if if we're talking like not just a tailgate, if we're talking like a party or like a pregame at somebody's like wings, you know, maybe order some wings. Right, that's a football food. So wings are my animal mention. I go chili because if you go chili, Ooh, that's good. You, you got chili and then you got the chili dogs if you need them. Then you got chili on the hamburgers if you need them. So you got a little versatility there. We're all yeah, about, I like we're all about maximizing flexibility. So I'm going, I go, I go burger, brat, chili, but wings are there too. If you go, if you're at a house party, I agree. Wings are, wings are uh, uh, for sure. Yeah. So see, I'm spoiled. My tailgate food is the omelet bar in the press box at Cleveland Brown stadium. So, but you can't have one of those in the Muni lot. Correct. So, but maybe you could. I was going to say that's not, that's not to put it out there. That's why. <laughs> that's why I have these ridiculous questions each week. I'm looking for ridiculous answers. <laughs> All right. Very good. Appreciate it, Lance. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, uh, just behind the curtain, Lance had to be very patient today. I was having internet issues. I'm currently sitting at my library in this little weird pod uh, recording this. People are probably mad at me because they can probably hear me through the walls, but uh, we're wrapping up here. <laughs> so Lance, I appreciate you being patient. Uh, find us on YouTube. Like I always tell you, Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, search Orange and Brown Talk, and uh, also subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to your pods. And one last thing to promote Football Insider, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. You heard Mary Kay and Ashley to kick it off. Again, behind the curtain, 
I had a bedroom to paint today that I promised I would have painted by this weekend. And I'm going to be on a plane to Seattle. So I had to get it done today. So thanks to Mary Kay and Ashley for taking care of that first segment for me. Lance, thanks for taking the time to join me here in this segment. And I will talk to everyone later.